Good morning, this is David Bennett, and this is Bitcoin And, a podcast where I try to find the edge effect between the worlds of Bitcoin, gaming, permaculture, podcasting, and education to gain a better understanding of all. Edge effect is a concept from ecology describing a greater diversity of life where the edges of two systems overlap. While species from either system can be found at the edge, it is important to note there are species in the overlap that exist in neither system, and that is what I seek to uncover. So join me in discovering the variety of things being created as Bitcoin rubs up against other systems. It is 10.50 a.m. Central Daylight Time. It is the 26th of March, 2020. This is episode 222 of Bitcoin. And we saw a mining difficulty drop that was uh, pretty precipitous. Yep. Uh, Let me read this to you. This is a tweet that was done uh, yesterday or last night. Uh, about 9.53 p.m. from Bitcoin BlockBot. If you're not following Bitcoin BlockBot, that is at BTC BlockBot, all one word. It's a pretty good, it's a pretty good bot account that kind of uh, tackles some, some different metrics that are going on. Um, and this one is one of the most important ones. The tweet says the 310th Bitcoin mining period has started with Block. 622,944. The new difficulty is a bunch of numbers, which represents a 15.95% drop. So we had a 16% drop in difficulty, which was like the large, I think one, it might've been the second largest drop that the Bitcoin network has ever seen. And this is important. What do I think about it? Well, I'll tell you exactly what I think about it. It, it being the Bitcoin network, does exactly what it needs to do. And every time, just like clockwork. And that's exactly how I want my money to act, like clockwork. It's not like you couldn't see this coming. I mean, we're, and, and the reason that I don't normally say, hey, this is going to happen is because it's not worth the time. It's just not. It's the difficulty is part of the algorithm that keeps the block times at 10 minutes. That's the heartbeat of the whole network is 10 minute blocks like clockwork. And when they get low or when the block times get high either way, the difficulty adjusts to make sure that the hash rate that is on the network securing the network is proportional enough for 10 minute block times. When that shit gets out of sync, then like in this particular case, we were starting to see 15, 16 minute block times, right? That's not what we want. We want 10 minute block times. We don't want heart palpitations, right? In the heartbeat. You don't want arrhythmias. You don't want shit like that when you have a living, breathing organism. And Bitcoin is every bit a living, breathing organism, okay? The sooner you get that one and stop thinking about it like a computer network, think more of it like an organic organism, things are going to be much, much, much easier for all of us to readily understand how this shit works. Okay, so again, let me, let me just kind of go through this. Um, what probably happened 
is that the price of Bitcoin was low enough that older mining rigs owned by miners were just not making them money. And if it's not making you money, you are going to shit can those things. And that's probably what happened. I don't know if it did happen, okay? But generally speaking, given the past, what's happened in the past, uh, this is pro I think I'm probably correct. The older mining rigs that were less efficient were shut down. And they were shut down all at once because they probably lost their efficiency all at once. And I mean, and, and that efficiency is given uh, is given by the price of Bitcoin versus the price of electricity it costs to run said mining rigs. Now, a whole bunch of new mining rigs came out uh, starting last year, and they're they're hyper efficient in comparison to the mining rigs that came before. So those mining rigs are fine at the price of Bitcoin as it is. <coughs> also, please remember that we went through an entire uh, <clears throat> an entire epoch or five or however long. <clears throat> we went through quite a bit of time of Bitcoin at like $3,000, right? And everybody was talking about a mining death spiral and it never happened. And this is not the only time we've talked about a mining death spiral. My God, please, please stop. Please stop talking about the mining death spiral. It never occurs because the difficulty adjustment makes sure that it doesn't. So now that a whole, like a whole bunch of hash rate left the network, but it's kind of back. We'll get into that when we do vitals. Um, then, okay, I lost my, I'm sorry. I lost my turn of thought. A whole bunch of, a whole bunch of hash rate left. All right, so the difficulty adjusted down. So now we're back at, you know, roughly 10 minute blocks or, or we should be. <clears throat> the miners that are left are the miners that are able to make money at the, the uh, electricity rate that they're paying the, uh, and the price of Bitcoin right now. So what I, what I do think is going to happen is we're going to see more of the newer miners come online because a whole bunch of miners have been sold and these are in comparison to the older miners hyper efficient all right so uh, i don't worry about this kind of thing what i would worry about is if the difficulty adjustment did not happen that would be a tragedy all right okay so the the system works exactly like it was designed to work and that's why i bitcoin all right so with that out of the way Let's jump into this Coindesk article from Wolfie Zhao, Bitcoin mining difficulty post second biggest percentage drop in its history. So we'll get into the news talking more about the Bitcoin difficulty drop. This was written probably, no, this was written this morning. The drop in so-called mining difficulty signals some miners have bowed out of the ongoing race to solve math problems to win freshly minted Bitcoin as a decline in the cryptocurrency's price has made this activity less profitable. This is what I was talking about. That said, the drop could work in favor of those who have chosen to stay in the game as less competition means individual miners would gain a bigger cut in Bitcoin's daily mining output. The world's largest blockchain network by market cap adjusted its mining difficulty around 3 o'clock UTC on March the 26th to 13.91 trillion, down from 16.55 trillion in the previous cycle recorded on March the 9th. Two weeks ago, Bitcoin suffered its worst sell-off in seven years. And 
It has only partially recovered since. Mining requires powerful specialized computers that consume copious amounts of electricity, and these businesses typically pay those hefty bills by selling or borrowing against their Bitcoin. Oh my God. Sell, sell, sell. The price drop has erased all gains in Bitcoin's compute power from the last three months, pushing it back to the level seen around December the 20th. The situation was weighed especially on mining operators that have been running with older equipment such as Bitmain's Antminer S9 and other equivalent models. The third biggest drop in Bitcoin mining difficulty was 13 point or sorry 15.13% recorded in December 2018 amid a price crash at the time. The largest difficulty percentage drop in Bitcoin history dates back to October 2011. Bitcoin's mining difficulty is programmed to adjust itself every 2,016 blocks, which normally takes about 14 days in order to keep the average block production interval at about 10 minutes. When a sizable amount of compute power on the network has been switched off during a 14-day cycle, it increases the time for remaining miners to produce the 2,016 blocks. As such, the Bitcoin network would make it less difficult to mine in the next cycle. Similarly, if a significant amount of processing power has plugged into the network in any cycle, shortening the average block production interval, the network will increase its difficulty in the next cycle. As a result, individual miners would generate less Bitcoin since competition has intensified. What has worsened the situation for mining operators in the last 17 days is that the mining difficulty has reached an all-time high on March 9th, just a few days before the March 12th price crash and yet still more than two weeks away from before it could adjust itself. The recent price plunge, coupled with record mining competition at the time, has made more than two dozen old Bitcoin mining models unable to generate daily profits in the past two weeks, according to data from Mining Pool F2 Pool, assuming electricity cost is at an average of $0.05 per kilowatt hours. That's five cents, right? That's a nickel, a nickel for your thoughts there, pal. Total average compute power generated by all the mining equipment on the Bitcoin network over the past two weeks has also declined from 118 exahashes per second in early March to now about 99 exahashes per second. Chris Zhu, co-founder and COO of Chinese mining pool Poolin, said on March the 12th following the price plunge that he expected the network's hash rate to drop by 20 to 30% in the next weeks based on the hash rate decline on several mining pools at the time. And that has led to an increase in the average block production interval to nearly 12 minutes, subsequently prolonging the adjustment period to 17 days, meaning incumbent miners operate or the uh, meaning incumbent miner operators had to wait three more days than usual before they could mine more Bitcoin while still having to pay the electricity cost. That said, with the significant mining difficulty drop in the current cycle and Bitcoin's price bouncing back above 6,600, older mining equipment like Bitmain's Antminer S9 is able to bring modest daily profits again, according to Poulin's data. Meanwhile, the latest and most powerful miners delivered by Bitmain, MicroBT, and Kanan since late 2019 continue to generate profits as they boast a higher mining efficiency. All of the three major mining equipment manufacturers have also been racing to deliver even more top-of-the-line mining machines in the coming months as Bitcoin's halving event approaches, which will reduce the network's mining rewards per block from 12.5 to 6.25 Bitcoin. So there is that. Now, I hope that 
kind of lock, was in lockstep with the explanation that I gave at the head of the show, but it doesn't end there because stories from the, the clown show uh, coming at you right here from Christina Combin. She's writing today for Bitcoinist.com that Bitcoin cash miners leave network for actual Bitcoin amid difficulty drop. So it's going to be an interesting few days, but let's see what uh, Christina has to say. <clears throat> Soon after suffering a brutal sell-off in line with traditional markets and the worst in seven years, the Bitcoin network adjusted its mining difficulty on March the 26th from 16.55 trillion to 13.91 trillion. And tri even I don't really know trillion what. I'm not exactly, I'm going to have to dig into that one because I'm not, it, it's, you can go forever down this rabbit hole and find something that you missed. And is something as important as difficulty, I'm missing it. So I'm not exactly certain uh, what, how 13.91 TN trillion, I don't know, whatever. I'll figure it out and it'll be like, oh my God. If you check out the following chart posted by VP at Pooling Cryptocurrency Mining Pool, Alejandro de la Torre, BCH miners are turning their hash power to BTC. And he's got a quote here that says, and this is the Alejandro gentleman. This chart shows the average number of blocks found in BTC and BCH. Looks like a good amount of miners have switched over from Bcash to Bitcoin. To be clear, okay, this is no longer the tweet. To be clear, the situation isn't exactly bullish. No one wanted to see an exodus of miners from the Bitcoin network as their equipment fails to break even, especially before the halving. Yeah, it's not exactly not bullish either, okay? All right, I'm going to stop right there because here's the aside. It, in my opinion, this has nothing to do with either being a bull or a bear. The network is operating exactly how the network was designed to operate. To me, that can only be bullish. It hasn't broken. Right there, it, I mean, out of all the stress testing that has gone on over the past 11 years, the network functions exactly how the network was designed. How that's not good news, I don't know, but maybe, maybe this, maybe she's a bag holder of BCH, I don't know, whatever. However, for those miners that can keep on making profits and those who are turning away from Bcash, the latest difficulty drop may work out quite well for them in the short term. Fewer competitors in the space means there's a higher chance of finding new Bitcoin blocks first. The difficulty adjustment comes days after Bitmain announced the domestic sale of its new Antminer S19 series mining rig, the most powerful piece of equipment in its product line and also the most energy efficient. Whether there are many miners out there with the funds to invest in new hardware right now remains to be seen. And right now... By the looks of the BTC hash rate and the difficulty drop, some smaller time miners may already be out of the game, particularly those running older equipment. There are still reasons to be hopeful, however, and different stats to focus on amid all the dismal news. It's not that bad, guys. My God. As a well-known Bitcoin advocate, Plan B pointed out, despite the drop, Bitcoin difficulty is still up 7% year to date. Moreover, right now, it's reflecting the two previous halvings. This could indicate, quote, no death spiral or minor capitulation. Yeah, that's, I agree, man. 
The fate of Bitcoin miners in the short term looks uncertain and there could be more pain in store for the Bitcoin network, but for those who can hold tight, they could reap the rewards after the halving after all. So guys, again, stop with the whole uh, mining death spiral. That narrative is very old. It has been proven wrong time and time again. And what if, if something that even remotely looks like a spiral occurs, that's why we have difficulty adjustments. Okay, the network, again, the network works like clockwork. It ticks exactly the way you expect it to tick. If it didn't, that would be what would actually concern me. Uh, Munib Ali is writing on the 24th of March for Bitcoin Magazine, the king of blockchains. Bitcoin can become the foundation for Web 3.0. Okay, let's see how that one works. Bitcoin remains the undisputed king of blockchain. <clears throat> Bitcoin's dominance has increased significantly since the experimental times of 2017, has survived many attempted forks and civil wars, and has established itself as the reserve cryptocurrency. People fall back to Bitcoin in bear markets. The production network has stood the test of time for over 10 years now. However, the crypto industry has dismissed Bitcoin when it comes to smart contracts or Web 3.0. I believe this is going to change. It's true that Bitcoin cannot do everything. Bitcoin is secure, but it has a limited scripted scripting language. Bitcoin is reliable and durable because it doesn't change. This does not mean that the developer ecosystem around Bitcoin cannot innovate and enable support for Web 3.0. As the crypto industry makes progress toward Web 3.0, we'll come to realize that it's hard to beat the security and network effects of Bitcoin despite several initiatives by potential competitors, the hash rate of Bitcoin network and the security offered by its proof-of-work mining remain unparalleled to this day. For years, new cryptocurrencies have attempted to launch their own native proof-of-work networks. None has approached Bitcoin's success. Bitcoin has network effects. Most people are introduced to cryptocurrencies through Bitcoin. If something can be done to top, uh, on top of Bitcoin, it will eventually get done on top of Bitcoin rather than a smaller ecosystem. Network effects make Bitcoin success self-reinforcing. Miners see that the network is established, that the community is strong, and that the currency is the hardest money in the crypto space. It's also the hardest money on the face of the planet, but whatever. Miners join or expand their commitment, increasing hash power and network reliability. Their entry inspires still more hodlers and businesses, increasing community support. The cycle just goes on. Despite the success of Bitcoin, critics who question Bitcoin's capacity for innovation have some valid points. There are aspects of Bitcoin that frustrate developers who wish to explore the world of smart contracts and decentralized apps. Many projects have created their own blockchains because they perceive Bitcoin's scripting limitations as a deal breaker. They cannot deny the original chain security, but they also wish they could write more expressive smart contracts. New blockchains find themselves struggling with poor native POW security and often attempt jumps to proof-of-stake or delegated proof-of-stake setups, which may be less secure and tend towards centralization. Maybe? No. Is. Sorry, it is. It's just the way it is. As a result, several crypto projects have concluded that they must pick their position, or sorry, poison. They must either attempt to bootstrap a native POW chain or else establish a POS chain, <laughs> piece of shit, with all of the trade-offs that entails. <clears throat> but these are not the only options. There's a different path available. Smart contract platforms 
can employ Bitcoin's POW security to safeguard new blockchains. New protocols can anchor to the security of Bitcoin and extend Bitcoin's utility. Transactions that settle on Bitcoin are harder to reorganize than they are on any other network. This is an underexplored design space, but one which is beginning to change. The Bitcoin blockchain already has security derived from its energy expenditure, and this security may be passed on to the interconnected chain by using concepts like proof of transfer. Wow, I, POX. I was wondering what the hell that meant. So it's proof of transfer. Okay. It's important to recognize that interconnected chains differ from traditional side chains. Interconnected chains <clears throat> create their own crypto assets, but they utilize the Bitcoin chain for broadcasting mining operations and consensus steps. An interconnected chain anchored to Bitcoin is a win-win proposition for all parties as the new blockchain benefits from the reliability and longevity of Bitcoin while providing freedom and flexibility to developers working with the interconnected chain. The Bitcoin blockchain can also reap benefits acquiring new and powerful use cases. These can attract new miners and new network participants, further solidifying Bitcoin's place as the reserve cryptocurrency. Smart contract platforms, and I include my own project, Blockstack, in this, understand how powerful on-chain contracts can be. But just as you don't need to build all new roads to drive new cars, there's no need to reinvent POW or POS chains to employ robust smart contracts or to launch new blockchains. The solid foundation we need to realize for our vision of Web 3.0 is already here. A future Web 3.0 can anchor on Bitcoin. So Muneeb gets it. There's all manner of stuff that can be done in this space. You don't need your own token. <clears throat> the only reason you need your own token to do anything in this space is because your intentions are evil and you're trying to steal money. I'm sorry, but that really is the way it is. It, it, I will, I'm going to go back to something that I talked about yesterday. Guy Swan's The Crypto Economy podcast. And I can't remember. It was, the, I think, the very last episode he did. Was it 369? It, it was, he's reading a piece by a guy named Matt Vinali. And it, it, this gentleman worked in the blockchain space, uh, in blockchain in quotes, right? <clears throat> for two years and had a terrible time. And in with pen on fire, wrote a piece that was a scathing view of the whole space and the bullshit that we've already been talking about for years. I've been warning about anything other than Bitcoin for as long as this podcast has been around, right? I, 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 I never waver in that. I've, I've never told you, hey, the, I li love blockchain or, or Bitcoin, but this other blockchain, wow, that looks kind of special. No, no, I've never done that. Why? Because none of this shit is special. It is a device to get the money out of your wallet and put it into somebody else's wallet. They tell you that you need a token to do X, Y, and Z. No, you do not. It's all bullshit. Stop listening to people who say bananas on the blockchain is going to rule the world, man, because it's not. It's just a phony pile of garbage. Please just stay as far away from it as possible. Daily Hodel staff is writing on the March 25th for uh, the Daily Hodel. U.S. Department of Homeland Security names blockchain managers part of critical infrastructure industry amid coronavirus pandemic. Stop it. Just stop. <clears throat> okay. 
Uh, DHS says blockchain managers are part of critical infrastructure. Oh, yeah. Really? Really? In a memorandum dated March 19th, DHS enumerates the industries that the government sees as crucial in providing essential services and products during the health crisis. The CISA, or their Cybersecurity and Infrastructure Security Agency, uh, also names blockchain managers in the food and agriculture industry. Jesus, I was just talking about not having bananas on the blockchain. Nobody gets this shit. Blockchain managers in the food and agriculture industry, as among those with critical roles in protecting public welfare and safety during the pandemic, quote, employees and firms supporting food, feed, and beverage distribution, including warehouse workers, vendors, or vendor-managed inventory controllers, and blockchain managers, end quote. Okay. Employees of food, feed, and beverage distribution I, warehouse workers, vendor managed in, inventory controllers, that I get it. That I get. You maybe not beverage distribution unless you're talking about water. You don't need anything other than water when you get right down to it. Coca-Cola deliveries to, you know, to your store is not critical infrastructure. Water is, that one I can see. Food, I can see. Feed, what they're talking about is like animal feed, okay? All that shit's critical. None of it needs to be on a blockchain. Therefore, a blockchain manager is superfluous at best. But they go on. Blockchain managers, along with other essential critical infrastructure workers, it's hard to read this with a straight face, guys, are directed to maintain their normal schedule amid lockdowns. In keeping with the directive of the memo, eight U.S. states, California, Delaware, Louisiana, Indiana, Michigan, Massachusetts, Ohio, and Washington state, now have stay-at-home exemptions for blockchain managers. Companies such as IBM Food Trust, which allows participants to trace the location and status of bananas, of course they say food products, by using blockchain, require a blockchain manager for their operations. According to SISA, the exempt workers conduct a range of operations and services maintaining critical infrastructure. Oh, here's a quote. Functioning critical infrastructure is imperative during the response to COVID-19 emergency for both public health and safety as well as community well-being. Certain critical infrastructure industries have a special responsibility in these times to continue operations. You do not need the blockchain for any of that. It's a waste of time. It's a waste of electricity. It's a waste of neural energy trying to figure out why the hell you need bananas on a blockchain. But <clears throat> maybe Marie Hulliot writing for Cointelegraph will distract us. She was doing the following four hours ago. Physical delivery of Bitcoin and backed futures rise ooh, 44% in March. Nice. Physical delivery of Bitcoin for futures on the Intercontinental Exchange backs platform is going strong. Despite a tumultuous month in the markets, data from Arcane Research posted on the 26th of March, <coughs> excuse me, gonna get me, reveals that as of March the 20th, the number of traders opting to receive physical delivery of the cryptocurrency rose 44%. Ooh, nice. Oh, backs Bitcoin future contracts, the first of their kind to be physically settled in Bitcoin. First went live in September of 2019. At the time, many commentators stated that physically delivered Bitcoin futures trading, which gives traders direct exposure to the asset, would represent a leap forward for the institutional acceptance of the coin. Notably, while physical delivery of Bitcoin upon contract expiry 
has significantly increased. Other metrics for backed in March, the volume of traded contracts and open interest are both significantly down. According to tracking data compiled by Twitter account backed volume bot at backed bot, which is not affiliated with backed, but rather with the Dutch journalist and crypto author Gert Jan Lestier, Lestieri? I'm not even going to try. The volume of traded contracts on backed on March the 25th was at 1,161 or $7.73 million, down from the all-time high of 6,601 on December 18th, 2019. Open interest was at $4.16 million. As global market analysis and trader Alex Kruger had previously noted, the number of traders opting for physical delivery had been underwhelming in the first month since the backed contracts launch. In late November 2019, he said, quote, backed has Bitcoin bulls excited. Volume is growing exponentially from a low base, but growing fast nonetheless. But what makes backed special for bulls is not its volume, but how many Bitcoin are physically delivered. In November, the number was 17 Bitcoin in October of the, uh, on October the 15th. Wait a minute, what? That's a weird sentence, and I'm not going to try to correct it for it. In a subsequent week, Kruger argued that the fall that in fall 2019, backed activity was not that different from the CME. It is also entirely paper trading, a reference to the cash-settled Bitcoin futures on CME, which first launched back in the winter of 2017. God, has it been that long? Jeez. By December 2019, Kruger was observing that almost nobody takes physical delivery, adding, this is not a problem. It is normal for future traders to not take delivery in all assets, but backed is no panacea. Okay. The alternatives to physical delivery are choosing to roll over a contract, prolonging price speculation on an underlying asset. In the case of CME's cash-settled Bitcoin futures, their trading has historically drawn suspicion with some claiming that Bitcoin's price is vulnerable to manipulation in advance of contract settlements. In December of 2019, Backed officially confirmed its own launch of a cash-settled Bitcoin futures contract via ICE Futures Singapore. Still, so with all that said, physical delivery of Bitcoin in Backed Futures is still up 44% in March. So, you know, it's not, you know, it's not terrible. Anyway, That's going to do it for Snooze You Can Use number one. We'll be right back with Vital Statistics. All right, let's take a look at some vitals here. Um, Let me just refresh my cnbc.com forward slash markets page so that we can see that apparently money printer go burr is still working in the short term. We have the S&P 500 up four points in uh, percentage points, not total like whatever. NASDAQ is up 3.38%. Uh, Dow Jones is up four and a half percent. The FTSE is up almost a percent. Let's see what bonds are doing. Everything is down except the United States three month bond, which is still registering a negative rate. Minus 0.038. The Japanese 10-year bond uh, is still in positive territory at 0.022. The German 10-year bond is still negative and will probably always be negative. Minus 0.37. So it costs you money to hold that bond. Uh, We have a 
5.5% drop in the price of oil. Its last is 23.35 a barrel. And gold is up $12.06. So Peter Schiff's pet rock doing pretty good. The spot price is $1,646, it would appear. wonder why silver's down. That's kind of odd. Silver's at four, it, like just under 15 bucks. So there you go. Uh, more interesting stuff online here. We have Bitcoin at a price of 6,633. We have a high on that price at, where's that going to be? It's going to be over at CoinsBit, 6,653. The low is going to be at HitBTC at $6,605. So really tight trading range. 315,000 transactions were performed over the last 24 hours, giving us 13,000 transactions per hour on average, with a million BTC being uh, sent around the horn in that 24 hours. We have about 45,000 BTC being sent every hour. Average transaction value is 3.36 BTC, while the median transaction value, whoo hoo, 0.065 or about $430. Block time is slightly low, 9 minutes and 40 seconds. I attribute that to the scant amount of BCH hash rate coming online to make actual money and support an actual project rather than Roger Ver's own pet rock, whatever. And 0.43 BTC have been taken in fees on a per block basis. 65 BTC have been taken in fees overall in the last 24 hours. Uh, bitinfocharts.com, which is what, where this is all coming from, is registering a difficulty drop of 10.17% in the last 24 hours. Its hash rate has dropped 25% in 24 hours. This hash rate is reading 79 exahashes per second. We'll see what my node has to say about that shit here in a second. Last time nobody did anything for Bitcoin was sometime today. That's according to the GitHub last commit line in bitinfocharts.com. Ethereum is at 134, Bcash at 223, BSV at 168, Litecoin at 39, Ethereum Classic is at 5, Dogecoin is at 0.0018. And from what I understand, Ethereum Classic just went underwent, uh, I think it's having event and its price looks stable. Well, what are you going to do, man? Uh, at 30,200 transactions in the last 24 hours, Dogecoin isn't doing anything but walking all up and down Charlie Lee's Litecoin. So there you go. Now, my node says that the hash rate is back up to 120 exahashes per second. <laughs> oh my God. Uh, we have almost no mempool. We have under one megabyte of transactions, which represents 775 unconfirmed transactions. We have some not empty blocks, but not full blocks. In fact, I have three blocks that are not actually, no, make that four. In the last 10 blocks, I have four. So yeah, so only 60% of the blocks are 100% full. And of course, 100% for me means anywhere between 99.8% and 100%. So that's where I'm, I'm getting that. Uh, my node's difficulty is registering 13.913 times 10 to the 12th. So that's just for you guys. See what's going on with Lightning Network at this point. Wow. 924 BTC is the total capacity of Lightning Network. 6,644 nodes. 
um, are are there representing 36,207 channels. 372 BTC is in capacity for Tor, and that represents 40.3% of the network's capacity is Tor capacity. The number of Tor nodes is 1,924. That's gonna do it for Vitals. Welcome to part two of the morning roundup, which actually is going on in the morning. Wow. You know, sorry. Yeah. Again, my apologies for the late show yesterday. Couldn't be helped. Uh, Jeannie was doing all of her school stuff online, which was online meetings and me talking in the same room about this kind of stuff would have probably raised some fairly serious eyebrows on the other side of her screen. Right. <laughs> Although still it would have probably been kind of fun. Uh, we have this one from Coindesk. The Overton window opens for a digital dollar. Yes, they're still talking about it, even though they stopped talking about it and then talked about it again, but probably stopped talking about it. But yet here we are with um, the Overton window opening for a digital dollar. Now, before I read this piece from Daniel Kuhn for Coindesk, you know how many times I've heard the, the term Overton window in this space? A lot. You know how many times people have actually defined that term? Zero. It's like, it's like I'm just expected to know exactly, oh, well, the Overton window, of course. And nobody wants to admit that they don't really, like, like me, I admit that I don't know exactly. I am assuming that difficulty is the amount of, well, I know it's the amount of zeros that go into a hash, and don't worry about that if you don't understand that part. And, you know, so I'm close to it, but I really just... It took me a long time to go, you know what? I have zero idea what the hell Overton is. Let me just look it up. So I'm going to allow you to do the same, except I'm going to read it to you. Now, I'm just, I'm not going to go that deep. This is just the Wikipedia entry for Overton Window so that you have at least a hope in hell and understanding what the hell Overton Window is. Well, according to Wikipedia, <clears throat> it is a range of policies politically acceptable to the mainstream population at a given time. It is also known as the win window of discourse. The term is named after Joseph P. Overton, who stated that an idea's political viability depends mainly on whether it falls within this range rather than on politicians' individual preferences. According to Overton, the window frames the range of policies that a politician can recommend without appearing too extreme to gain or keep public office given the climate of political opinion at that time. Ladies and gentlemen, I hope that helps when I read this one again from Daniel Kuhn writing for Coindesk sometime yesterday. Legislation introduced in the United States Congress this week signals the Overton window is opening in favor of national digital currencies. While it's unlikely we'll see a digital dollar anytime soon, the coronavirus may help participate or precipitate adoption of novel forms of money, members of the cryptocurrency industry and observers have said. The legislation comes about as United States officials look for ways to get much needed cash into American pockets. According to a Senate bill, using a central bank digital currency, the federal government could send direct payments to citizens' wallets held by the Federal Reserve called Fed wallets. 
Yeah. Okay. Just wait for today's daily train wreck. Okay. Just, just saying. While the proposed bills lack details and at least one has been scrubbed of reference to this new payment mechanism, many in the crypto community see this as validation of both an asset class and a set of ideas about the future of the financial system. Quote, this is not the last time we'll see the digital dollar movement. Lawson Baker, founder of Relay Zero, a cryptocurrency investment and advisory firm, said in a direct message, the dollar is the United States' greatest export. No, it's not. It's soil. If you've ever listened to the show before, you've, you may have heard me say that. The largest export of the United States by sheer tonnage, I'm talking mass, weight, by sheer tonnage, it is not steel, it is not concrete, it is not oil, it's not gold, it's not silver, it's not, and, and it'll, it's not even anything else that falls outside of mass. It's topsoil because we've just absolutely crushed the structure of the soil and it flows into the Mississippi. It flows into all the other rivers. It finally flows out to the ocean and we don't get a dime for it except what we do give other than our soil is our future livelihood because all, all of life exists because of six inches of topsoil and the fact that it rains. But be that as it may, the dollar is the United States' greatest export and any technologist or financer would want to be a part of its next phase of existence, Baker said. Favors, pork, you name it, everyone wants in to the digitization of the dollar payday. Oh, God, that just sounds bad. Whether introduced out of sheer desperation as a genuine attempt to utilize instantaneous and transparent payment technologies or as bill padding, as Matty Greenspan, a digital asset researcher, wrote, <clears throat> CBDCs are rising up the mainstream agenda. In a few short days, CBDCs have gone from being fringe to getting support from U.S. senators like Sherrod Brown, who has proposed digitizing the existing currency and keeping accounts for the public at the Fed. Yeah, keeping accounts for the public at the Fed, which is not public but private, but whatever. The centralized version of sovereign national currency likely has the widest support in establishment circles with backers like ex-commodity futures and trading commission chairman Chris Giancarlo gathering support for his digital dollar project. At the same time, Facebook and other private entities are also co-opting and sometimes improving on the work of Satoshi Nakamoto. No, there is no improvement. Sorry, dude. I, who is this again? Daniel, get it together, pal. Nobody's improving shit. I mean, because it doesn't need it. It, it, it does not need it. Any it, The improvements that like what you're kind of talking about can only occur if it goes inside all, you know, the actual code. And now, you know what? I'm just, I can't do this. I can't, I can't, sorry. Quote, we are becoming resourceful in looking at existing technology and at the flaws in the current system and applying them. To future and current needs, said Kath Catherine Cooley, CEO of Binance US. Cooley wrote an op-ed last weekend urging Congress to consider blockchain-based stablecoins as a way to pay out a direct stimulus. It would save money and reduce contagion risks, she argued. However, the current drafts make no mention of a digital dollar being maintained on a decentralized ledger. Quote, I'm not going to say I prefer one way or the other as long as we're rapidly moving towards this solution, Cooley said. 
Quote, any progress on this manner is a win for everyone. The faster we can get funds into the hands of those that need financial support at this time is crucial. Cooley's arguments for digitizing cash payments are pragmatic. This isn't scientific consensus, or there isn't scientific consensus yet on how COVID-19 spreads, and mailing physical checks to home addresses may negligently expose people to the virus. And that's if they even have a bank account to go deposit that check in. There's a lot of Americans that are unbanked. Again, this is why Bitcoin. Similarly, Cooley reasons that the last time the federal government posted rebates in the mail in 2008, during Henry Paulson's tenure at Treasury, many people without stable residences were excluded. Quote, if the stimulus were delivered via digital assets, every American with internet access, a social security number, and proof of address... (laughs) could have the ability to access their stimulus, she wrote. This hygienic distribution would provide a variety of ways for people to get access to cash. Okay, so what about those people without stable residences? That means an address. So if you still don't have a stable residence, how the hell is your proof of address? Are you, A, I I, I don't know. See, this is why I... Again, this is why Bitcoin. One possible impetus for the government's examination of digital currencies during this crisis is the much mistrusted Libra project spearheaded by Facebook, but moving to decentralized bullshit. Coley said Libra is perfectly positioned, no it's not, to provide something like this, but if up and running, would require everyone to get a Facebook account. (gasps) Oh my God, sounds like fascism to me. Uh, Are you going to force everyone to open up an account or an exchange? The answer is no, but there is an option now for people that are not near their mailboxes, she said. As it stands, digital dollars would be paid to wallets maintained by the Federal Reserve. These payments wouldn't be able to circulate widely throughout the economy, but people would be able to transfer them to their bank accounts and use later as they see fit. Even such a scaled-back approach would be a first step towards crypto technologies being widely adopted. Kristen Smith, executive director of Blockchain Association, a Washington, D.C. lobbying firm, said, Oh, the lobbyists, quote, people could grow to understand that they can have full access to their financial lives. Again, I don't need you. I can do that through Bitcoin. Quote, through dollar-backed stablecoins, people could grow to understand that they have full access to their financial lives. Through other digital assets, she said, but not everyone takes such a rosy view of this solution. Daniel Gorfine, CEO of Gattaca Horizons, a fintech advisory firm, and apparently uh, thieves of a name of a movie by that name, said, sorry, that was me, said the current crisis is forcing consideration of how existing technologies can expedite the deployment of money, but he cautioned against moving too quickly. Quote, implementing a true CBDC is a really large undertaking. It needs to be done with a lot of care and will involve important questions, design choices, and trade-offs, Gorefine said over the phone, quote, while jump-starting pilots and trials could make sense, I caution whether now is the right time to do something as full-blown as broadly implementing a dollar-backed digital currency. I think it's really important that this doesn't cause any delays in getting emergency funding to needy businesses and individuals through existing channels, he said. That one I actually agree with. Gorefine, also the former chief innovation officer at the CFTC, proposed a digital dollar along with former CFTC chairman Giancarlo, quote, there's a difference in my mind between doing meaningful pilot versus a whole scale implement- implementation. It seems to me to be something that will take months, if not years of thoughtful planning, Gorefine said. Again, I agree with the gentleman named Gorefine. 
Eric Turner, a crypto data researcher at Missouri, agreed CBDCs aren't a question of it, uh, of if, but when. A dollar stimulus airdrop is the perfect test application, but we are at least a year away from the United States building such a system, he said. If rushed, the procedure could likely do more harm than good, said Josh Lawyer, or Lawler, a partner of Zuber Lawler, who specializes in crypto and securities law. The virus situation points to a use case for quick direct payments of this nature, but it will take more than five days to figure out a way to implement it and not end up in disaster, he said. I also agree with Mr. Lawler on that one. Lawler thinks the current proposals have conceptual flaws that would drag us in the wrong direction. Quote, those that need it most are the ones that are unlikely to have or know how to use wallets, he said. Additionally, a digital dollar could be a means of increasing government oversight over personal transactions. Quote, there are huge security concerns. The Fourth Amendment is at stake here, Lawson Baker said. Earlier that day, Baker tweeted digital dollar Fed accounts for consumers are worse than the Bank Secrecy Act. Why? Because now the Fed will have direct access to all your financial transactions and direct control over the ledger, end quote. Ooh, he reasoned this would lead to asset seizure without warrants. Let me read that one again. This would lead to asset seizure without warrants. He's 100% correct. They will shut your ass down. If they don't like you, if you're less, like, let's say you're a journalist and you say something bad about Hillary Clinton, bye-bye your bank account. I mean, or this particular style of bank account. It's not really a bank account, but whatever, you, you get it. <clears throat> While there are flaws with a bill so quickly introduced, Baker sees the moment as a calling for the crypto industry to rise to the occasion and move its agenda forward. God, stop with the suit speak, pal. Quote, this will resonate with people. They'll understand what a digital dollar means. Even if Congress had to pull back and say, we don't want people connecting the dots, said Cooley. It means they already know what true digital assets are and therefore are afraid people would connect yet even more dots. <laughs> so there you go, man. There, there, there you go. Um, let's get on into this one. <clears throat> I've said all I can say about that. Again, wait for the daily train wrecked on, on this whole wallet, digital fed wallet, digital fed wallet, digital dollar wallet. Just, just wait for it. Okay. Just wait. Coinbase wallet integrates DeFi directly into app. God, this is like so irresponsible. Even for Coinbase, this is irresponsible, and they're pretty irresponsible. This is this is malfeasance. I'm sorry, I'm calling it Brian Armstrong. Strong. This is this is malfeasance directly on your part. You're you're going to get people wrecked, and you know exactly what you're doing, and you're doing it to make a profit. Therefore, it's malfeasance. Coinbase users are now able to make moves on different DeFi apps and earn interest without leaving the exchanges app. Frank Cordova, writing for Decrypt.co sometime yesterday, says decentralized finance or DeFi is becoming even more mobile friendly. Oh joy, crypto exchange giant Coinbase announced on Wednesday the integration of DeFi apps directly in the Coinbase wallet on both iOS and Android. With the integration of DeFi apps built on the Ethereum blockchain, <laughs> users can now lend and borrow crypto with interest through smart contracts that automatically execute when parameters in a contract are met. 
For example, Coinbase users will be able to deposit crypto into a DeFi contract, lend their crypto to others, receive interest on their loan, and cash out to their wallet without having to leave the app or recognizing that you've made a bad frickin' loan. Dude, God, the, the integration makes it possible to compare different rates from providers, easily deposit your crypto without opening a web browser, and view your balances on a simple unified dashboard, wrote Sid Coelho Prabhu in a blog post announcing the news. Sorry, butchered your name. Didn't mean it. In the post, Coinbase touted apps such as Compound and DYDX that allow users to earn up to 6% APR for loaning USD peg stablecoins like USDC. Coinbase had invested in both apps last year through a fund created to boost the development of the USDC stablecoin. This comes as stablecoins have boomed in the past month amid the economic downturn kicked off by the coronavirus pandemic. It may now be easier than ever to enter DeFi markets, but potential users should be cautious. Although DeFi and the larger Ethereum ecosystem have experienced growth in recent months, some users reported being wrecked by DeFi volatility when the larger crypto market plunged amid the turmoil in global markets. Nonetheless, it's a handy tool for Coinbase users who are using their phones to lose their money. Oh, I'm sorry, to cope with coronavirus stress and keep up on crypto. So yeah, use your phone to lose your money. I am not a fan of DeFi in all of its forms. I'm sorry, I'm not. And I've met some, you know, some good people in DeFi and talked to them directly and, and I like them. I just, I can't. I just, I can't with this. You're taking risks that you don't need to be taking with DeFi. You're just, you just, you just are. But I mean, you can do whatever it is that you want to do. It's your life, it's your money. I, you don't, you know, God forbid, don't listen to me. But maybe we'll listen to what Michael Kapilov or Kapilkov has to say with this Coin Telegraph piece written, written sometime last night. Telecommunication tokens are surging just like stocks. God, as if the idiocy doesn't stop. It's just, it just rolls down an ever-increasing steep hill. And I've already talked about this shit. You don't need tokens for services. You never have. You never will. It's unnecessary. <clears throat> Let's just try to understand this. Communication-related tokens have surged over 18% in the last week following in the footsteps of Zoom and other telecommunication stocks. Stocks are not tokens, guys. During tumultuous times, investors are eager to find assets that can provide shelter or a hedge from volatility. For many decades, this usually meant either gold or gold mining company stocks, since they tended to have a negative correlation with the rest of the market. Over the last decade, many have been prophesying Bitcoin as the new gold. During the recent crisis, however, investors have turned to the telecommunication stocks, with some Capitol Hill investors ending up in hot water. The motivation behind this convergence between traditional crypto investors in the telecommunications sectors seems obvious. The expectation that an increase in the remote workforce will create greater demand for these services. Status, or SNT, an Ethereum-based privacy messenger that is not included in Crypto Slate's communication sector, has gained 77%, 77% since the March 12th bloodbath. Johnny Zara, head of marketing at Status, shared with Cointelegraph that currently the second most popular public channel on Status is dedicated 
to the coverage of coronavirus around the world. He noted that, quote, in these times, it's important for people to have access to the information that doesn't just come from government sources, end quote. Well, then hit Twitter, pal. This supports the thesis that the general public and crypto community in particular are growing weary of what they perceive as attempts by government to increase surveillance under the guise of coronavirus protection. When it comes to status, messenger investors may be betting on these fears. This also coincides with the strong performance of basic attention token, with which is the utility token on the privacy-preserving Brave browser. Only time will tell if these bets play off long-term. No, they won't. You want my prediction on this? No, they won't. I mean, this is like they have this picture, and it's a little... Uh, a little grainy here, but most of these things are, they're like, one of them, my God, Cannon Chain is up 92%. Oh my God. Loci, 18%. Orchid or OXT. We got Mainframe. I'm reading from this list <clears throat> of uh, these blockchain communication things. Uh, Top is there. Foam, uh, Foam is there. Uh, Canon Coin, Stumble Network, uh, or Scrumble. It's hard to read because it's like they didn't provide a very good, uh, let's see if this will blow up for me. Scrumble Network, Nest, uh, was it Nest Tree, Gra Gravio Coin? I've never heard of any of these. Fort Noxter is up 32.8%. Jesus. In, like in all these prices, these prices are ridiculous. Ca could you tell? It's token price is $3. It's up 27%. It's changed over the last 24, and that's in seven days. It's changed over the last 24 hours is 172%. All of you guys are going to get wrecked. None of these systems are going to be able to outcompete all the shit that we already have. And even if they did, there's no reason for a token. You just want money. I hate you all. You're stealing money from people that don't know any better. And I hope you all end up, I don't know, spy, <clears throat> skewered on a post outside Vlad's, you know, Vlad Dracul's castle or something like that. God, just the sheer idiocy. Sorry, guys. It just, it's hard to read stuff like that. It really is. But you got to know what to stay away from. You really do. And which is pretty much everything but Bitcoin. It's actually kind of easy when you think about it. But, I, you know, it's like I said, it's one of those things that you need to know what's going on. So that's what's going on. Block <coughs> Bitcoin firms report uptick in demand for inheritance services. So people getting on the stick with the fact that they're going to die and need to be able to pass off their Bitcoin to somebody who probably doesn't know how to work a wallet. Again, wait for the daily train wreck. This was written today by William Foxley for Coindesk.com. Cryptocurrency startups are reporting increased demand for estate planning services as the coronavirus outbreak motivates users to make sure their coins are passed on to heirs. Casa Hodel and Unchained Capital said that they have seen a dramatic rise in requests for proof of death or similar multi-signature wallet schemes that enable customers' Bitcoin to be transferred to a loved one following an untimely death. Quote, We've seen more demand than at any other time in our history over the past month for vaults, Unchained Capital Chief Product Officer Will Cole said. Many vault customers set up via trust or other inheritance-supported entities. 
That's been true the past few weeks as well. Bitcoin's BTC, or sorry, Bitcoin's seizure-resistant technology makes it impossible to transfer without the consent of someone holding the private key. If Bitcoin is to be money, it needs infrastructure to handle assets. When life's prevailing circumstances alters one plan, such as a medical accident or death, Casa Hotel CEO Nick Newman said half of recent inbound sales prospects have specifically asked about the firm's inheritance services, Casa Covenant. The firm, which focuses on user-friendly private key storage solutions, has had three times the number of clients in the first three weeks of March than January and February combined for its diamond-class product, which includes the inheritance wallet service, Neumann said. Casa Hotel is looking to add the feature to its first and second tier services, gold and platinum services soon. He added, quote, we allow clients to hold their own private keys and securely pass their Bitcoin onto their heirs in the case that doing so is necessary so that clients don't ever have to relinquish control of their Bitcoin to a third party, Newman said. Meanwhile, the outbreak has strengthened Ethereum developers' motivation to create similar infrastructure for Bitcoin's top competitor. Even before coronavirus became a household name, the Alfred project at Denver's Ethereum Hackathon was building a suite of tools for transferring shitcoins under the ERC-20 and ERC-721 non-fungible token standards. Project member Seth Goldfarb said the team chose the name Alfred to put a kind face on an uncomfortable topic. What, that you're dealing in shitcoins or death? Because neither one is good, dude. From a technical perspective, the system could have two parts. An Oracle service regularly scanning public sources for death announcements <laughs> announcements, and an escrow service, Goldfarb said. Jeez. When the Oracle detects a subscriber's death, the escrow system would begin a countdown to sending the user's digital assets to a chosen third party, such as a family member. A life alert button could stop the, the escrow service from going through if needed, Goldfarb said. For now, the project remains in the development stage. However, while an unsavory topic, inheritance protocols are a necessary part of the tech stack of digital assets are to endure, partic particularly if they rise in value. Quote, it's not nice to think about, but it may be prudent to have a detailed plan for what will happen to your Bitcoin when you die. Lightning Labs engineer Alex Bosworth said on Twitter. So, um, <clears throat> yes, in these trying times where death is around every corner, either by panic or some, or by virus or some panicked ass individual trying to get the last bit of toilet paper in the store, uh, you need a plan for your Bitcoin. Or you could just teach people how to use it in your family and whatever. Okay. I do agree that you need inheritance services. Not everybody needs to use them, but they do need to be there. So I'm not poo-pooing on that whole thing, but it is like, well, sit down with your kids and teach them how to use a digital wallet. Again, wait for the train wreck. <laughs> Venture capitalist says 2020's coronavirus will only prove the value of Bitcoin and shitcoins. He says crypto, but he spelled shitcoin wrong. Nick Chong, writing for CryptoSlate.com sometime yesterday, says, case in point, since the 10,500 high seen in mid-February, the price of Bitcoin has cratered by 36%, posting similar losses to markets like American equities and commodities, namely oil. Yeah, no shit, dude. 
What's worrying is that a V-shaped economic recovery that optimists were hoping for is believed to be unlikely to happen. Consumer spending, especially spending on discretionary items, is likely to be much lower even on the recovery. While it seems that the world has seen its worst unemployment shock since the Great Depression of the 1930s, <clears throat> put shortly, the economy could soon be at the weakest it has been in decades. That's highly likely. But that's where crypto begins to deviate from the rest of the economy. You spelt Bitcoin wrong, dude. According to a number of prominent investors and analysts, the fundamentals and intrinsic value of cryptocurrencies are only being strengthened by the crisis. Despite the warnings, the waning prices of Bitcoin, Ethereum, and other digital shitcoins. In a recent Twitter thread, placeholder venture partner Chris Bernsky, or who's that? Bernisky. I'm... Probably, I know I'm pronoun- I always pronounce his name wrong. It's an odd name. Chris Berninsky, the analyst who coined the term crypto assets, recently remarked that this crisis will pass and crypto's fundamentals will have strengthened through it. <clears throat> Berninsky's or Bern- Berninsky highlighted how new technologies rise as old systems break. And often it takes a crisis to reveal the flaws in the old system in full. Indeed, Raul Paul, pal, sorry. A former executive of Goldman Sachs and CEO of Real Vision recently couldn't express how bullish he is on Bitcoin, plainly stating how all trust in the entire system has been lost, leaving a power vacuum that is likely to be filled by a digital ecosystem that has pointed to many times. He has pointed to many times in interviews. Galaxy Digital CEO Michael Novogratz followed suit. In an interview with CNBC Tuesday, he explained that. This is the time for Bitcoin, citing the the unprecedented, what some call broken monetary and fiscal policy response to the crisis. Quote, if there was ever a time, debasement of fiat currencies, monetization of trillions of dollars of debt, this is the time for Bitcoin, end quote. Indeed, on March the 24th, Larry Kudlow, advisor to the White House, remarked in an official press conference that the coronavirus stimulus package is likely to exceed $6 trillion, a sum as large as 30% of the United States' entire GDP, 900 million BTC, or enough money for $850 for every human being on the planet. (laughs) The expectation among some investors is that this will cause a strong bout of inflation that will boost the value for scarce and decentralized assets, including cryptocurrencies. Notably, while Bernisky seems to be more fundamentally bullish on cryptocurrencies than ever before. He is open to the idea that Bitcoin will see some further downside despite already failing, uh, sorry, falling to the 3000s on the March 12th capitulation event. Per previous reports from Crypto Slate, the venture capitalist remarked in a recent analysis that there's a good likelihood Sorry, BTC revisits $3,000, citing the fact that the crypto lost the key capitulation level over the 200-week simple moving average, and global assets seems to be on the downward slope. Um, Quote, lots of people asking where BTC bottoms. The short of it is, I wouldn't be surprised to see a retest of our 2018 lows near $3,000. Bitcoin, currently ranked number one by market cap, is up 1.85% over the past 24 hours. BTC has a market cap of $125 billion with a 24-hour volume of $45 billion. So there, there you go. And that's going to do it for the rest of the snooze you can use.
All right, your daily train wreck is brought to you by Scott Adams, and I hate, I hate this. I hate that it's Scott Adams because I really like Dilbert. I, I, and there's a lot of stuff that Scott, Scott Adams says that I agree with. This, <laughs> this one, however, is beyond the freaking pale. Uh, so on March the twentieth, he says, if the government created and issued a government-backed cryptocurrency to all citizens or just low-income people, and ordered all businesses that are able to accept it do so, explain in comments how that would play out, good or bad. So bald SEO dude writes back and says, lol, have you tried to use a Bitcoin wallet? Okay, fair enough. Now, here's the wreck. Scott Adams replies, add facial recognition and fingerprint and it's solved. No, sir. No, sir. Absolutely not. The, the human being's ability to capitulate into the worst ideas on the face of the planet postulated by people in quote-unquote seats of authority never ceases to amaze me. And I would have thought after all the, the, the panels of Dilbert that this dude has produced over the years that he would understand that. And clearly even Scott Adams does not understand this shit. I mean, begging government to do something is, is bad all by itself, but not even understanding what it means to have your money and your ability to transmit value. Uh, what is, what am I to, money is a communications tool. To have to use my face and fingerprint to communicate value with somebody is unacceptable. You should not accept this. And in fact, you should probably just blaze Scott Adams' Twitter account, which is at Scott Adams says, with how wrong he is on this. I'm just saying, man, because out of all the smoldering piles, this one ranks like, you know, right at the top. It's terrible. You should not, you should not ever under any, or under any circumstances ever, 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 ever allow shit like this to propagate. Even the idea, you should not, you should do whatever it takes to make sure that people that, that promulgate this kind of idea is laughed at. I'm sorry, that's probably way harsh, and I, I get that, I really do, but, uh, you know, no, absolutely freaking not. So anyway, there's your smoldering pile. Although, well, before I uh, completely end this one, uh, bald SEO, SEO dude has, that's, that's what I'm talking about when it comes to what I was talking about earlier when I kept referring to today's daily train wreck. Look, it's not, it is not um, a hidden thing for us that uh, these wallets are difficult to use. And that's a problem. The user experience is still very bad. But one of the problems with making user experience easy is that you're going to make trade-offs. What trade-offs are you willing to make? Facial recognition is not one of them. But that aside, bald SEO dude is, is absolutely 100% correct. Have you tried using a wallet? If you know how to use a wallet, use it again and think back to what it was, you know, or, or put yourself in the shoes of somebody who is 
scared to death that they're not going to get their toilet paper allotment today from the bodega on like, you know, 53rd and, and 10th. And um, all of a sudden, the only way that they're going to get any kind of money that the government is going to helicopter on their ass is to learn how to use something yet one more fucking time. Eh, you know, it's not, no. Guys, we, we say shit like this all the time. Oh, well, just do X and just do Y and just do Z. Not really understanding what that means to the person that doesn't know what the hell you're talking about. So we've got a long way to go for user experience, ease of use, and not capitulating on privacy. It's a long way to go, but it's a noble road to go down. There's nothing wrong with it. There's nothing, there's absolutely nothing wrong with going down this road. It'll be an adventure. Just put it that way. So uh, let's go ahead and just like ride, let's ride into the sunset with this joke. Uh, I feel like I got sucker punched on this one, but dad says jokes clearly is going to be the progenitor of this particular thing. A bear walks into a bar and says to the bartender, one whiskey and one Coke. Why the big paws? asked the bartender. I don't know. I was born with them. See, should I do the... Totally worthy of the golf clap because that's just freaking terrible. However, it's not so terrible that I wouldn't read it as a dad joke because it is. It has the qualities of a dad joke. In this particular case, it has kinetic, a little bit of a kinetic nature to it insofar that I actually had to make a pause. That's kind of difficult to do when you're doing a podcast or like, you know, if you're doing radio or something like that, because people automatically think that you are in what's called crickets. What like, you know, the feed has gone dead and they're looking around going, what the hell, what the hell happened? What the hell happened? Uh, So, you know, saying this, you know, this particular joke face to face would have a completely different, you know, I don't know, completely different impact face to face than it does like on a podcast or, you know, listening to it like, you know, on radio and stuff like that. So just, I'm just saying, you know, this is a terrible joke. Chicken report, nothing to report. Chickens are getting big. Chickens apparently don't know how to eat without spilling most of their food onto, because I was was able to figure out where the hell all the food is going. I, because I put their food down on grass that was, you know, basically mown uh, a couple of days before, I was able to see their, you know, what the aftermath of their eating habit is. And oh my God, dude, I'm surprised chickens are, are alive. Their their food wastage is beyond compare. I mean, you think it's bad that, you know, United States grocery stores throws away that much food? Oh, hell no, bro. You ain't seen chickens eat. Oh, God, these dudes are just, they're bad. They're terrible. But with all that said, I'm going to see you guys on the other side. And yeah, that's where I'll see you. This has been Bitcoin and... And I'm your host, David Bennett. I hope you enjoyed today's episode and hope to see you again real soon. Have a great day.